0: I've had certain doctors, A and E doctors, for example, singled
1: that out. Told me that but they don't believe. Really really I would say, first of all, a lot of people. I've been ill for months and months and months and months i a and and I
2: and and not until I
3: It's okay not to be okay. You may have heard this phrase before. It certainly took social media by storm this World Mental Health Day, with hashtag it's okay not to be okay trending worldwide. And while this rhetoric is undoubtedly a positive one, what does not being okay really mean? Because I don't know about you, but everyone I seem to speak to seems to be fine. Emma, how are you? I'm good, thanks, how are you? Very good, thank you. Hi Tim, how are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you.
3: Hi Chris, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm well, thanks.
3: Hey, yeah, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a cold.
4: Oh no! <laughs> how are you doing? Hello Alex, I'm fine, thank you. How are you Alex? I'm
3: excellent, thank you very much. Hey Mark, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good, thank you. <laughs> hey Chris, how are you?
5: Morning! I'm very well, thank you.
3: Busy. Busy. (laughs) But that's not the real picture, is it? And nor should we believe it is, because according to a House of Commons report, an estimated one in six people experienced a common mental disorder like depression or anxiety in the past week. So either we're lying to each other or something else is going on, something much deeper and much more difficult to change. I'm talking about stigma. This is Island Mentality, where I'm going to explore what services and support the Isle of Man offers for those struggling with mental health challenges. In part one, I'll be focusing on young people, as it's said 50% of mental illness begins by the age of 14, and three quarters begins by the age of 24.
6: I've
0: had certain doctors, A&E doctors for example, that have told me that they don't believe in mental health and that it doesn't exist. And The medications used for mental illness shouldn't be used. They've told me I should just go on holiday, for instance, and that will sort everything out.
3: Jamie is 18 years old and has just come to the end of his time using the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service in the Isle of Man. How does that make you feel when you're coming face-to-face with professional people in the
0: health service telling you that what you're going through isn't real? It can make you feel that you're not worth anything and... It just makes you feel like you're the only person out there with your problem.
3: So what kind of support does the Isle of Man offer?
7: Hello, my name's Julie Bennion and I'm health improvement for the mental health service. In the Isle of Man, we have a mental health service that follows our strategic plan for mental health and wellbeing. So we have a variety of mental health services over what we call a stepped model. So we've got a lower step model Um, which is sort of step two which is for people with mild to moderate mental health problems and at that level we offer people counseling and therapy we've got an exercise referral scheme we've also got community support which helps people get back into employment and education then we go to step three which is for people with more moderate to severe mental health problems and within that level we have the community mental health service for adults we also have the older person's mental health service we have the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service and we have the Drug and Alcohol Team. And then at what we call step four, which is more people who have an acute episode of mental health problems, we have Court, which is our inpatient area. And we also have the Crisis Response and Home Treatment Team. And that's what we've got on the Isle of Man.
3: The Minister for Health and Social Care is David Ashford.
5: We have done steps over the last 12 months to try and improve the service and of course prior to the last 12 months as well in terms of the support and the community division that has now been formed is giving it a much more joined up approach and I believe we are seeing changes. Maybe not as fast as I and others would potentially like but we have to be realistic about what we can do in the timescales and those changes will continue.
3: Wouldn't it? be more sensible or more financially beneficial for government now to put a a relatively large cash injection into improving the current services we have. So later down the line, we're not spending millions of pounds on a situation that's got out of control.
5: Well, cash injections are all very well, but they've got to actually be aimed in the right areas and deliver on that. Um, I think what we need to do is also develop a wellbeing strategy and stop people becoming mentally ill in the first place. It's all very well pumping money in to treat people after the fact, but we've got to try and mitigate it beforehand, early intervention, but also, you know, the world has changed. We have social media now. We have the internet. You only, again, if you use Google again, have to look at the relationships relationship between people's anxiety, stress levels and so on over that and what we need to do is get early education programs in place to teach young children and young adults how to cope with that and coping mechanisms to stop it escalating into that problem in the first place. In the past I think the focus has been on treating people after the problem has occurred. What I want to do is over my time, however long or short that may be as Minister, flip that on its head and look at trying to do, deal with coping mechanisms and early intervention. A
3: recent poll of teachers in the UK suggests they are spending an average of four and a half hours a week dealing with pupils' well-being and mental health. 95% say they've seen an increase in children struggling with anxiety. A letter signed by 20,000 people has been delivered to the Chief Inspector of Schools
8: calling for mental health to be treated as a priority. That's a picture I mean anecdotally, we can concur with that. obviously we haven't done the research that they've done um, to to produce the actual stats, but I'm sure that we will be fairly close to that
3: That's the voice of Annette Baker, the head teacher at Ramsey Grammar School. She says the island should be taking note of the UK's recent audit
8: and it's forced the UK government to commit 1.4 billion to expanding mental health services and their intention is to reach a third of the the young people who need it, that's still not good enough. Because, you know, a third means two-thirds are not accessing proper support. And I fear there's a similar situation here on the Isle of Man. They're saying in England uh, an average of 4.5 hours a week is spent by teachers responding to concerns around student uh, mental health and well-being. It's extremely worrying. What do you want to see from a government point of view? I think looking at mental health at every single level needs to be a top priority for government. Um, my uh, overriding impression as head teacher of the school and having worked in education here for 34 years, I've seen it increasing over those years. Uh, and services at every single level are stretched to breaking point. The Health Minister told me more
3: about the Child and Adolescent Mental Health
5: Service. Three years ago, there were 391 referrals into that service. Two years ago, there was 464. And then last year, we saw that 464 referrals jump to 595. And I'm pretty certain when we come to the end of financial year this year, we will see those referral numbers go up again
3: with those referrals on the increase what is the department doing to make sure there is the infrastructure and the support in place to meet those increasing demands?
5: Well there's several things one of the things first of all is creating a proper autism service because at the moment autism is classed in with children's mental health and I'm not sure that's potentially the right place for it to be so I know that the team has been working very hard to focus on autism and those sort of areas to try and break them out from the main service so I think that will be a step change, but also I mentioned the various step project that we've brought in so the five stages and one of those involves public health working with people early on to try and get mental well-being so it's not about sitting around and waiting for a mental health crisis to happen or for a child to present we should be doing more about mental health well-being that's involved in the community that's going out into the schools and actually providing support on the ground and that's where the focus needs to be
8: we're doing our very best in education as i know colleagues in social services and every other level of working and supporting young people and families in this arena are. But it's not enough. It needs to be top of the agenda and it needs to be addressed before the situation gets any worse. I'd like to see the government here prioritise mental health. Uh, to the extent that they are being now forced to do in England. Throwing money at it indiscriminately isn't going to work. We need a strategic view of what the priorities for this island are uh, and the government, I would say as they are, need to continue to work really hard to close the gaps in provision um, to make sure that all
6: young people and families within this situation are safe. Hi, I'm Josie Corrin, Director of Pastoral Care and Wellbeing at Ramsey Grammar School. Um, I was a pastoral leader and have been for about 15 years. So mental health, although it has increased dramatically, and I mean dramatically, I'd say over about the past eight years, um, it was something that I've been very, very passionate about. And I spoke to Annette quite a lot of times about it. And I was really pleased that it came up as a job, to be honest with you. And I just, I absolutely love doing it. It's hard work. It is never ending because there is no end point. Um, Satisfaction wise, it is just from seeing students who can access the help there are so many who don't get the help that they need either they don't come forward they don't know where to go outside so we're doing as much as possible in school to try and bridge that gap between tier one tier two tier three basically you're just one person seeing that demand how how do you deal with that um, we've taken it on as a whole school initiative to be honest with you and two years ago Annette and the leadership group changed the whole ethos of the school. So we introduced our way of being, so it's things like kindness, responsibility, um, community and that's based on students and staff. It was really important that the students felt the staff had to go about it the same way as well. So we're doing mental health and well-being for students and staff so student-wise, we go all the way back to the Year 6 meetings with parents and we put it high on the agenda there and inform the, the parents that their mental health and wellbeing is as important as the exam grades. We have a mental health and wellbeing block. We've increased our listening service capacity by training staff who are interested and it's really taking on... It's the drip drip effect, really, but the results have been amazing from staff and students, really knowing where to go if they need help which is what we're trying to just say to them all the time we talk about students every morning it's on agenda points for departmental meetings any students of concern and also staff of concern you know if they're worried about colleagues as well you know to to pass them on we've got p- uh, people coming in for dropping sessions if staff need to talk to someone or if students need to talk to someone so it's growing it would just be nice if we did have more resources to put that into place,
3: really. But are students really noticing all these changes in schools? Cameron is another service user of CAMS.
1: In school, I'd, I wouldn't say I've been singled out, but um, I, I would say that they—that's that, that, a lot of people, they noticed that, that I'm different and reacted accordingly in a way that's not mean, but that I'm not exactly happy with. I'm generally sort of very... Quiet in a school setting. I, I have, well, I, I had difficulty um, making friends going into secondary school, and, and as a as a result of that, I I don't really feel as though I'm. Before I left GCSEs, I didn't really feel as though I was. I was treated kind of equally by by most people.
3: The head boy at Ramsey Grammar School is Oliver Cowan, who says mental health has certainly been a priority for him, and he told me why.
2: Growing up, I've experienced a lot of people with mental health issues and I've noticed myself that it can impact life in a massive way. It's not something that should be swept under the carpet like it usually is. It's something that needs to be openly talked about and the stigma needs to be removed from mental health. So that's sort of where we're aiming to lead.
3: Amongst the, the student body, as it were, undoubtedly not everyone's going to be as understanding as each other. Is that something that can change with some schemes like this, or are you, is there a bigger concern there that it's a wider issue?
2: Well, there, are, there obviously is a wider issue. Um, a lot of people do have the stigma against mental health, but breaking it down by using these schemes really helps the students to understand where mental health stands and how it can affect everybody, and it doesn't just have to be them that suffers from mental health, it could be anybody in their family and anything that happens within their life, and it could happen to them now or it could happen to them in 40 years' time. We're just giving them that opportunity to educate them about mental health.
9: The world out there for a teenager is a very difficult world now. You have to be tough, pretty tough.
3: Lorna Fairclough is a director of Manx charity Parent to Parent, which supports those with children struggling with their mental health.
9: I've got a son who's 26 and a daughter who's 17, so there's a big gap between, and I can tell you now the difference in schools and what they offer in the times that they've both been through school, is completely different always been a struggle in the teenage years have always been up and down and as a parent you expect your child to be you know grumpy don't you expect the slamming of doors and that sort of thing but what you don't expect is for them to reach a point where they don't want to be here anymore and believe me as a parent when you experience that when your child says they don't literally don't like life and they don't want to be here anymore what do you do with that where do you go with that even the school struggle with what do you do with that but for them to reach that point they've gone through a period of time a very low mood and and, and difficult times you don't become suicidal overnight there's a there's normally a build up to it and that's because a lot of it is early intervention tends to be a, a similar sort of thread throughout most parents who come to us. There's a little bit of a theme in there in that they've probably identified their young one's issues through maybe not wanting to go to school, withdrawing from their friends, withdrawing from their favourite clubs, that sort of thing. And as a parent, you don't associate that with them being ill. You know, you, that can be what's happening, why have they changed, why has there been a sudden change? So it would probably go on with the child for quite some time, as in maybe a few months, before as a parent instinctively you realise this isn't normal teenage grumpy behaviour. Something's not right. At which point you think, where do I take them? You know, there's nothing physically wrong with them. You can't see anything. So you take them probably to the GP. The GP then has probably one route of referral, which is CAMS. Now, Calms, at the moment, a child will wait 8 months to 12 months for a referral, an appointment. So what you do as a parent in the meantime with your child who is struggling probably at the early intervention stages where they do need an assessment, clearly, they need a clinical psychologist to assess them and decide which form of action, you know, what sort of therapy do they actually need. And if they got that straight away, there's a very good chance that they may never reach the real chronic anxiety stages or depression because we've nipped it in the bud. It's like any illness that a child is going through, as a parent you would not expect them to have to wait eight months to a year to see a specialist. So something needs to be put in place for these children to be able to be assessed immediately.
4: I think it's really important that people have other people they can talk to and family and friends are really important.
3: Dr Derek Proudlove is a consultant, child and adolescent psychiatrist working at CAMS.
4: So if people can have the right support from their friends or their family, that's absolutely what is needed. You know, sometimes people, I think, emphasise too much that you need to see a professional or people maybe worry a bit too much that they'll say the wrong thing. But if you can listen and care about someone and be there for them, I mean, that's just really vitally important.
3: How do you think we can be talking more about mental health on the island?
4: I don't really know, but I see it. I see it's, it's in the media a, a lot, and it's coming into schools, and the schools are talking and teaching kids about emotions, and, you know, you you, you just see it on TV, whether it's documentaries or dramas or soap operas, they're, they're just bringing in mental health all the time. And it's been like that for 10 or 20 years. So, yeah. Um, I guess it's all called raising awareness, isn't it? It, it, um, One of the, perhaps the consequence of raising awareness is that a lot more people go for help and then the problem is there's a mismatch, there's a, a, you know, the number of people seeking help and the resource that's actually there is not, doesn't match up and there isn't enough resource to meet the demand.
5: I know a lot of people say the answer is money, put more money into the service. I don't think that necessarily does change things because as you expand capacity, as I've shown there with cams, your demand can also expand as well.
3: The Health Minister.
5: I attended on the 9th of October the first ever global ministerial summit down in London on mental health. And one of the key things that was put across there is that early intervention is the key. And one of the things in the next financial year that I want to focus on within the department is not just early intervention in mental health, but early intervention in things across the department. I think that's got to be a theme for next year.
3: With the the numbers I've been given from CAMS, from any age up to 18, uh, 5.9% of the island's under 18s are using CAMS open cases.
5: Right, well, I need to clarify that because, of course, one of the things you've got to remember is, as I said before, autism and other sort of conditions such as that are included within those numbers. So whereas you look at the headline figures, it sounds exceptionally scary that you're saying 5% of all children are in CAMS. 5.9. They're not necessarily in there. For what a lot of people out there would see as mental health problems. So we need to get better as well in defining what people are in there. So for instance, mental health with children is tiered. So you've got the tier one that basically is those that are suicidal risks, all the way down to behavioural problems. Now, when you look at the figures and you break them out by the tiers, it gives a very different picture to the headline picture.
3: In England, the NHS reported secondary mental health, learning disabilities and autism services. So bringing in all the Mm. things you just mentioned, the number of 18s using those services in England is 4.5%. Yeah. So... That's still uh, 1.5% above England.
5: But also, don't forget as well, history shows, and if you look at other small jurisdictions as well, there's a lot uh, lot of cases that are more easily identified and referred in. In larger jurisdictions, you tend to find they go further towards crisis point before the child presents. So, like I say, we've got to get a better idea as to why children are presenting and the reasons behind that. So, for instance, one of the things that has driven our referral rate is CAMS previously and some other jurisdictions only take children's mental health up to 16. There was a decision made a few years ago to extend CAMS up to the age of 18. So that has obviously driven the referral rate up as well, because there's several jurisdictions that still focus on the 16, so anyone who's 16 to 18 will class into the adult mental health. And I don't think personally that's right. I think we've taken the correct approach by including those figures in the children's.
0: I think there's a lot of stigma that surrounds mental health.
3: Let's hear again from CAMS user Jamie.
0: Some people think mental health is a choice, and I don't believe it is. You wouldn't tell someone with a broken leg to just get up and walk. The stigma, some people believe that it's it's a choice and that you can just snap out of being mentally ill, but you really can't. Some people are being judged uh, for needing to go to therapy and I, I just think going to therapy, it's quite courageous and it helps, so I don't see the need for people to think that it's a problem to go to therapy. Have you experienced that attitude personally? Yeah. I've had peers and peer groups say that, why why would you go there, like, there's no need and there's quite a few people out there that also believe it doesn't exist. You've been using CAMS, you've been kind of going through the process for a fair few years now. Has that changed at all? Um I'd say that, well, my therapy's got a bit intenser but I think CAMS as a whole, they do such a great job with young people, it's unbelievable. I mean that's my personal experience but they do a really good job, I think. How do you think that's helped you then I suppose over those years? Well I've become a better person as a whole. I've I've learnt how to deal with things I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been able to deal with a couple of years ago and I've I've grown up and it's helped me realise who I am.
1: bringing more attention to it definitely could help it in any case. I think the support in schools could improve and they d- they do try and I appreciate that they they try to give support but they they just they don't have what they need to just help out people who are in need to make them feel comfortable in this setting. I think largely this this again is a, is a matter of awareness.
8: I don't know what the um, the global solution to this is as far as the Isle of Man is concerned, but I, I do know that more needs to be done at every level to support students and staff. We fear at the moment this is a situation which is rapidly becoming um, out of control, that we just are running to catch up on. We're doing our very best and we'll continue to do our very best and I know all the other services on the Isle of Man are doing that too. I would suggest it's an easy thing to say, and uh, the people who are who are holding the purse strings will know this. But I would suggest certainly um, that that something along the lines of what they're doing in England needs to be done here if we if we are to have or to stand a remote chance of addressing the needs of young people and staff in this very difficult area. Very keen to imbue the students with the sense that they have the capacity to change the world and it's got to start somewhere. You know, you you can't change the world overnight, but there's lots of sayings and mottos about this that uh, you know, little changes, one little change adds to other little changes and it accumulates and creates a momentum that leads to real change. And the students I hope feel that they have individually and collectively the capacity to make the world a better place. In my research for this
3: programme, there was one thing that was outstandingly obvious from the start, and that was that this topic of mental health is huge. It covers a broad range of issues and emotions, and it's important to note what I've presented here is merely a snapshot of a subject that's inherently linked to each and every one of us. And although I can't offer up any cures or fixes, I hope we can keep talking about mental health as something that's normal, not to be feared or stigmatized. Because there's one thing that's for sure, the conversation has already started and it's gaining momentum. Join us next time on Island Mentality when we look at what the island offers for adults from talking therapy to community groups. That's at 5.30 on Thursday, the 15th of November. For now, though, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or want to know more about some of the voices or interviews you've heard this evening, do get in contact with Manx Radio in confidence and we'll talk you through anything we can help with. In the meantime, though, take care and have a very good evening.